Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from HarperCollins, presenting The Angel of Rome by Jess Walter, a stunning collection of tender and brilliant stories about the moments when life changes you, for the better or the worse. It just keeps happening, Rome, over and over, the city reinventing itself for each new generation. And us, too, I suppose, if we have the courage and the people to show us the way. That's Eduardo Ballerini reading from The Angel of Rome, the latest story collection by best-selling author Jess Walter. A starred Kirkus review says that you should prepare for delight. And you should. The Angel of Rome by National Book Award finalist Jess Walter. Available now wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And if you can't tell, we're sitting by a fountain. A very loud fountain. Yes, and also very loud traffic. And this is the fountain episode of the show. The Fountains of Rome, a la Respighi, if you're familiar with the music. All right, so we are actually recording this by one of my personal favorite fountains in Rome. Uh, What fountain is this? Uh, Technically, this is called the Aqua Paola Fountain, but most people call it the Fontanone, which literally means the big fountain, because it is huge. And where is it exactly? Because I feel like this is one most people would miss. Yes. Uh, we're up on the Gianicolo Hill right now. So if you know where the San Pietro and Montorio church is, where I happen to get married, it's literally one block up the hill from that. And if you go up another block, you'll be at the Porta um, di San Pancrazio, which is like officially you're in Monteverde by the time you're up there. Right. Or if you've heard of the American Academy in Rome, that's right by where we are. Yep. And the fountain that you can actually hear right now, it looks like a big giant swimming pool almost. Like if we were in a very fancy hotel, this might be what the pool looks like. Uh, but the fountain itself, the part that's splashing, is a, a lion, or no, not a lion, sorry, a dragon that's spitting water out of his mouth. You would say that's a dragon, right? That's a combo of, like, I think a dragon and a lion. The dragon head, or the dragon body and lion head is what it looks like to me. Or even a wolf head kind of looks like. It's definitely one of those mythological creatures. Do you have any sense of how this fountain came to be here? Oh, Katie, you put me on the spot and make me sound bad. Um, This, the fountain was the, it's a showcase of a restored aqueduct. So in, in ancient Rome, they had, you know, several aqueducts leading into the city and wherever the aqueduct ended, they would put a mostra fountain, some big showcase fountain to show off how much water they had. This tradition is revived in the Renaissance, uh, starting with Pope Nicholas V in the 1500s. This comes later. And I believe, I mean, Aqua Paula, it's got to be a Paul. I can't think if the top of my head, if it's Paul, it's probably Paul V. I'm going to stake my bet that it's Paul V. So Borghese Pope, he would have been um, ruling around the year 1600. So he uh, restores one of the ancient aqueducts, renames it the Aqua Paola after himself, and builds this showcase fountain. 
It's so interesting how much of the beauty of Rome is people being like showing up, showing off, you know, <laughs> saying like, look at how much water we have, the rest <laughs> of the world, go ahead and like, you know, admire us. You don't have enough water, we've got so much, we can spill it all over the place. Exactly, it's exactly the, what, what they were doing. But it's also interesting too because uh, the fountains in Rome are so important. It's a very hot city, particularly in the summer. And even as we're standing here, it's a pretty hot day today. And there somehow is a slight cool breeze coming off this fountain. Yes, exactly. I mean, when you, it's like air conditioning. It's old-fashioned air conditioning. So when the wind, if it's a windy day and the wind hits the water, it will cool you down a little bit. And also because the water that comes from the aqueducts is cold. And very drinkable as well. There is one duck that's taking advantage of this fountain. I often think there's strict, strict rules in Rome about swimming in the fountains. Oh, you yes. can be in big trouble if you were to jump into the Trevi Fountain, for instance. Oh my gosh, major trouble. Don't do it. No. But the ducks, again, <laughs> the birds have the advantage here. The ducks are like, hey, nobody's in here. It's all for me. I'm in Versailles right now. I know. <laughs> they're so lucky. They get to fly everywhere. They can swim with their ducks. They're so lucky. All right, so we have a bigger point, though, about fountains today. Um, why don't you introduce us to what we're going to talk about? Well, when I started my very first blog back in, oh, seems like ages ago, 2010, I think it was, I called it the Pines of Rome. For one, because I adore the Roman umbrella pine trees. I just love them. But also because I have a classical music background, and I loved the connection with the tone poem by Respighi called the Pines of Rome. And the music is is amazing. But he wrote another tone poem called The Fountains of Rome, and each movement of this tone poem is trying to recreate the idea of a different Roman fountain at a different time of day. I'll play a little bit of the music right now, and we'll listen to that, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the four fountains that are being illustrated in this music. Sure, sounds good. Fade into water on the way into the music. We have moved off to a quieter area. Not because we didn't love that fountain, we do, but the traffic, I mean, it's always the traffic. Yes, and even the sound of the water is so powerful, it's hard to almost, almost hard to talk over it. Yeah, one of my favorite things actually about some of the gardens that you can visit in Rome and around Rome, and actually the Alhambra is a great example of this in Spain. Sometimes the way the water is laid out is intentional so that I could have a conversation with you without the guy over there being able to hear a single thing that we're talking about. Like it's meant to keep us private. It's meant to muffle your voice. I love that. I never thought about that. <laughs> we don't want the fountain to be muffling our voice so much in this part. So we have now moved off to a quieter spot. We're sitting actually with a, on a beautiful staircase with an amazing view that we tried to take a picture of to share it with you, but it didn't really work out. But anyway, back to this piece of music. Tell us a little bit about the piece and what you like about it, and then we're going to talk about the four fountains that he talks about. Well, Respighi is, Ottorino Respighi is an Italian composer who lived, you know, over the turn of the 20th century. And he wrote The Fountains of Rome in 1916. What I love about it is, hearkening back to my, my music history days when I was studying that in school, 
I remember learning about tone poems and how how revolutionary they were. You know, this idea that a piece of classical music that has no lyrics, that is not sung, there's no drama going on, it's not a ballet, there's nothing being represented on stage, it's just the music. For the first time, you're taking a piece of symphonic music and you're giving it a very specific context. It's not just abstract. It's not just the theory that you're hearing and the, you know, the different compositional styles and the different moments. And it changes somewhere around that time, around the turn of the, of the 20th century. All of a sudden, certain composers, and I, I, I want to say Hector Berlioz is the first one to do this in the Sym- Symphony Fantastique. Suddenly they're like, okay, we're going to tell a story with a piece of music that has no words and has no acting and has no dancing, but we're going to tell a story anyways, simply through the music. And so um, this was one of, I don't want to say one of the first, but it was definitely a great example of a symphonic tone poem. And he writes of the fountains of Rome, the pines of Rome, and, and others. And the fountains of Rome is beautiful because it looks at not only four different fountains, but at four different times of day. So you could almost do a tour of Rome and try to see all these fountains in one day. And maybe with your headphones, listen to the music, and we're going to try to do that for you today. So what's the first movement? The first movement is the Fountain of Valle Giulia at dawn. And it's meant to describe a pastoral scene at daybreak with sheep passing and disappearing in the fresh and humid mist of a Roman dawn. Ah. And Valle Giulia, first of all, is, is a section really on the edge of the city. It's not where any tourist is likely to be. So I've actually never been there. <laughs> There's a metro stop called Valle Giulia that I passed through to get out to my apartment, but I've never gotten off there. So it's a very, very green, rich, fertile valley. And yeah. apparently it has a beautiful fountain. Apparently it has a beautiful fountain. I'm literally trying to look for pictures of it, but every single time I search for the fountain of Valle Giulia, it pulls up the tone poem. Like, it, I think that this fountain is the most famous thing this fountain ever did was to be in a tone poem by Respighi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So listen to this little bit of music and try to imagine an Italian dawn. Really? Yes, with sheep. Because back in those days, and even still in Rome today, certain parts of the city you can find shepherds. But imagine that, you know, there's a shepherd wandering with his sheep around there and it's very green and it's really on the outskirts of the city. And this fountain since we have no idea what it looks like you can picture it as grand or as humble as you like let's take a listen
So going into the second movement. Right, we have the, the Triton Fountain in the morning. So the Triton Fountain is m- much more recognizable for most people. It's in the middle of Piazza Barberini, not far from, not too far from the Trevi Fountain, but it's much smaller. It's right in the middle of the piazza and you can walk around it. It's one of those works that you, you know, you're meant to see from all four sides. And it has these giant fish or dolphins, it's hard to tell. Their heads are down towards the water and their tails are supporting what looks like a very large shell. And there's a triton sitting on it and he is reaching with his head to blow out of a conch shell. The water is spewing out of that conch shell, if I remember correctly. spewing out of the conch shell, and it's also dripping down from the shell that he's sitting on. It's meant to be like a joyous appeal at whose sounds naiads and tritons come trooping up, pursuing each other, and mingling in a wild dance beneath the falling spray. And this is, this fountain's by Bernini, by the way. I should have mentioned that as well. So famous just for that reason. Yes, okay, so picture the naiads playing in the morning in Rome. Splashing around in the fountain, and when you hear the French horns, that's the sound of the Triton playing, blowing through the conch cell. And the third movement, perhaps the most famous fountain of them all. Uh, I think definitely the most (laughs) famous fountain. We talked about going to each of these locations to tape while we were there. But when I reminded myself that the third fountain is the Trevi Fountain at noon, I said, Katie, there's nowhere I would less rather be at noon than at the Trevi Fountain. And I totally agree (laughs) with that. I don't really truly and here's the secret for those of you who have never been to Rome I don't really like to be near the Trevi Fountain ever (laughs) unless it's 5 a.m. and everyone's asleep and it's a nice sunny morning that's the only time I can imagine wanting to be there yeah the Trevi Fountain ever since the tourists came back to Rome has gone straight back to what it always has been which is just a huge pot of people (laughs) just a swarm of people and 
I absolutely understand why tourists go there. You have to go there at some point. I do recommend try to go as late in the night or as early in the morning as you can. Uh, but we didn't want to go there at noon because it would have been way too loud to tape anything. You probably wouldn't have been able to even hear the water. <laughs> right. So obviously when he composed this piece of music, the Trevi Fountain at noon was a different thing than it is today. Yes. I mean, there were, there were tourists in Rome in 1916, but not to any degree as there are now. There was no mass tourism back in those days. But the third section of this tone poem takes on a triumphal character, fanfares sound. It's as if Neptune's chariot, drawn by river horses and followed by a cortege of sirens and tritons, were passing on the radiant surface of the water, only to vanish while muted chimes sound in the distance. And the fountain, if you have seen it, of course, there is, some people call him Neptune, some people say Oceanus, god of all waters, whatever it is, it's a water god standing in the center with a huge shell behind him, and he is commanding the waters, and there are tritons down in front of him with hippocamps and allegories, and it's, I mean, it is quite spectacular. Yeah, it's a beautiful fountain. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying don't go see no, it. Just go course. see it first thing in the morning. It, yeah. There's nothing nicer then sitting there, I mean, since I lived here, I had a, n- a number of chances to go by and see. And one morning, I don't know if it was an off season or what, but it was like 8 a.m. or 7.30. And I went there and I was the only one there. And I was the only one there for about 45 minutes. I mean, a few people stopped by and took a photo and kept walking. And I just sat there with my journal and wrote. Wow. And that's the way to see the Trevi Fountain. That is the way. I'm sure it was not May when that happened. So into the triumphal sounds of the Trevi Fountain at noon. Our last fountain is the Fountain of Villa Medici at sunset. And this fountain is actually very, very simple. It's it's really just sort of a big suspended bowl lifted off the ground. I want to say it's an ancient fountain that it came from one of the bathhouses, but I'd have to double check on that. But it, it looks like it did. It's very simple, but it's the position that matters. It's where it is. So if you know Villa Medici, it's up on the Pynchon Hill, a little bit beyond the top of the Spanish steps. And when you're up there, and of course it's sunset, you've got the beautiful view of Rome all lit up, glowing pink and gold in the distance, and the water, the, the colors of the sunset reflecting in the water of the fountain, and it's absolutely magical. This final section portrays a more melancholic atmosphere. It's sad in an intent, delicate, restful way, and bells toll for the Angelus, birds twitter, and there's a rustling and fluttering of leaves 
and then follows the silence of night. It's very beautiful. Let's take a listen. Well, that was a really interesting journey. Thank you for that. If you like that, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know and maybe we'll do a Pines of Rome. You don't get the same kind of sound quality from a tree (laughs) as you do from a fountain, with the exception of the birds. That's true. That's true. But if you did like that, and if you like what we do on this show, please support it. It is an art form into itself. And just like you would throw some nickels in the hat for the jazz combo that's playing on the Ponte Sisto Bridge throw some nickels in our hat as well and help keep this show running and operating. There are links in the show notes. Don't leave the responsibility to others. If you love this show, please help pay for it. We appreciate it so much. And more importantly, tell a friend about it. Spread the word. Anybody that you know that's obsessed with Italy or Rome or even just thinking about art and music, we are here for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye.